Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, professors of theater education, and teaching artists that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. So grab your coffee or glass of wine, plug in your headphones, or turn up your car stereo, and relax. Thanks for joining me for these heartwarming conversations and practical advice from other theater teachers on the front lines making a difference in their students' lives each and every day. I am excited to welcome to the podcast for this episode uh, Dr. Adam Carter, my husband, uh, who has been on the show before, back on season one, and this is the finale for season four. And I wanted to bring him on to talk about uh, some things that I have kind of experienced throughout this school year and that I know many of you teachers um, have experienced or are experiencing um, as you are wrapping up the year. So we're going to talk about all kinds of, uh, (laughs) they're not really happy things, but we're going to end on a happy, upbeat note, hopefully. Uh, But just to acknowledge kind of where we all have been and are. So Adam, welcome to the show again and I'm, I'm, I've, I think when I shared with you personally before we, we were talking about uh, putting the show together that I am perfectly willing and happy to be vulnerable for kind of what you've experienced and witnessed in my own uh, teaching journey over this last year but talk a little bit about what what we all have been through over the last two years and kind of where we are with this collective trauma and exhaustion that all of us are feeling right now. Sure. Well, I think we start off by by talking about in case, just in case someone was not aware, um, we have lived through a global pandemic, just in case you missed it. Um, and are still living in it. Uh, most definitely. Most definitely. I think we're living in a a different phase of it, which, which adds to this piece of, of trauma that we're going to talk about. But what what happens when something like this occurs when when we we kind of all have this this and and i and i hope that you all as I, as i use this word you understand i'm using it for shorthand knowing that no one went through the same thing none of us experienced it in the same in the absolutely in the same way um we all have varying levels of resources and resiliency and support and all of those things impact the way that we've we've experienced and are experiencing um, the pandemic and and its its implications for our work. Um, so when I speak kind of in broad strokes, know that I'm speaking at a place to start, not necessarily a place that ends or a place that may resonate with you in terms of is this my experience? It, it may not be your experience, but I'm I'm going to ask that you kind of hold off and saying, but it's not an experience right now. So. We kind of we go back to the very very beginning of this thing. We remember kind of the shock and all. Um, very very quickly moved from a way of life to a new way of life that we're still acclimating to. Um, teachers we know went from being in the classroom one day to not being in the classroom for for some for about a year and a half, maybe still depending on on where you are or the way your career worked out as a result. Um, we also remember, I think we remember going back to March of 2020, April of 2020, that, um, teachers were being heralded as heroes. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Do you remember that, that very short period of time, a very short period of time, a very short period of time <laughs> where, where teachers were being
being heralded as heroes and you know it's you that's making the 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 transition to being at home work and you know this is only going to take a couple weeks and we appreciate it and flash forward what till a year and a half and um you know it's now teachers are are being seen as um potentially selfish for 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 putting self-care first and um and lazy and all all of these words that we use um that I like to call conversation stoppers. When you throw those words out, you're not looking to have a conversation anymore. You're looking to, to, to fight and you're looking to kind of dig in or to insult and just say, Hey, look, I don't want to talk about this anymore because you're lazy. Um, you're not doing your job and you need to step up. Um, and we, we know that's not true. Um, you know, I, you're, you're an educator. I'm an educator of sorts. Um, I've, I've left ac- academia as during COVID. Um, but we know that those, those quickly changed. What I want to talk about too is we talk about trauma-informed teaching a lot, and I would I would love to spend hours talking with you about trauma-informed education as it relates to um, kind of the the shared experience that our students have went through, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about trauma-informed teaching as it relates to teachers mm-hmm. and educators and administrators and um, the folks who are at home with children doing education. Any anyone who um, has that that role. I, I I hear a lot of conversations about talking about students, but I'm not hearing a lot of conversations about the collective trauma experienced by teachers and what's going on and educators who are trying to make their life work during a time of pandemic um, to whatever, whatever that means and whatever that looks like um, as well as and then take on this responsibility for for the care and education of, of all of these young people who who come into their classrooms. Um, I am saying things that you know, but maybe you need to hear. Um, teachers are exhausted. They're exhausted physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Every part of their being is exhausted just from being alive, just from functioning. Um, not necessarily from going out there and, and climbing that 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 mountain that is that is education in in 2022, but just existing, just like our students, we're 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 tired and exhausted right now from existing because what we don't have is we don't have stability. Stability is 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 paramount to having a um, uh, an experience where you feel safe, and and learning doesn't take place and. And that kind of moving up Bloom's ladder or Maslow's ladder, whomever you're 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 subscribing to, that doesn't take place unless you feel safe, right? You're not going to be able to go in and teach long division if you're worried about catching a virus that you then could take home to your family or you yourself have. It, it's it's not in relation to family, um, and so there's this there's this there's this fear, right? And there's no there's no universal way of addressing these pieces. So a teacher's in one district could have a certain protocol, and then literally three streets over, when the district changes, these teachers have a completely different set of protocols to address the same thing. So that stability, that 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 need for predictability is just not there. Um, we've, we've heard from our teacher friends who are still practicing in, in the field in terms of public education, the fear of having to prepare multiple lessons because they don't know which day that a switch may flip and they have to go right back to online again. 
um, they don't know. And so there's, there's double planning that's going into that as well as this is not news that we, the number of teachers who are in the classroom are fewer than, than before. The number of substitutes are fewer than before. And so even this maybe um, work time that's built into the day is taken away. Um, and that's a removal of stability. Do I have time to do planning or do I not have time to do planning? Um, you know, or am I going to have to take this home? And if I have to take this home, what does that mean? And what do I have to give up? Or if I don't plan, what does that mean for the following day? And, and what kind of a headache is that going to be for me there? So this, this, the stability is gone. And as we kind of move to where we are now, I appreciate you you sharing that we're still in the pandemic. We're in this place that we have such a desire to be post-pandemic um, that we're, we're functioning as if, as mm-hmm. if we are post-pandemic. Um, but I still, I mean, I still have to wear my, my mask to go to the optometrist, right? I still have to wear my mask to take our, our daughter into the, to the um, orthodontist. So masks are still a functioning thing um, in, in places, you know? Um, Jimmy and I went to go see the play that goes wrong in Chicago and we had to wear masks. Um, and, and so there's still places where, that's there, but then we're functioning as if everything is, is, is back to normal. And then so we see numbers spiking. And when we see numbers spiking, I, you know, a group who's watching that are those people who have to be in the classroom with people who, um, have snotty noses, who don't necessarily remember that, um, that vampire cough (laughs) trick anymore. They're coughing everywhere. They're sneezing everywhere. Um, and this fear of anytime someone sneezes, what what happens and how does that work so this anxiety and this this collective trauma that's happened um and the unique collective trauma of of public education is just it's wearing on folks and um when i when i teach this way i teach it is it's almost like um when you look at an iphone and you open up um, uh, the, the phone and well, you don't see any apps open, but then when you hit that one button that shows you all the screens that are open, there are 45 apps that are open. You can't figure out why your battery's drained because when you pick up the phone and turn it on, no apps pop up on the screen is open. But when you click that one button that shows you how many screens are open and 45 apps are running in the background, constantly draining your battery. This is, this is how I, how I share this is what this collective trauma piece does is that it may not be something that you're able to always see or put your finger on or say this is it but you have these things that are draining your battery in the background so when something happens that that may have never been an issue for you before you know it might have never been an issue for you to cover for another teacher during um, lunch duty but all of a sudden someone's like hey can you cover lunch duty today and you openly start weeping it's because your battery is completely drained or it's so drained or you've accounted for that amount of energy to get you through the rest of the day. <laughs> you know, lunchtime is only about half the day. Um, and so there's these reactions that are occurring and people are, 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 I believe, afraid to talk about it because it shows, it shows weakness, perceived weakness. Hear me say that perceived weakness and vulnerability in and being human and being worn out and being tired and being scared and being exhausted and not wanting to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we talk about that, how are people going to look at me? How, what are they going to think of me? Um, what are they going to think of me if they think that I've, you know, I've been looking at jobs every day on lunch um, and they're not teaching jobs, 
what are you going to think about me? You know, what my family got to think? You know, I wanted to be a teacher and I am a teacher. I've been a teacher for 10 years, but I don't want to be a teacher anymore. What's my family going to think of if I go into a different profession or a different industry altogether? Because, you know, that's, that's what I need right now. So these conversations aren't taking place because people are afraid to have them or they're, they're, they're fearful of being shamed if, if they do come to light. Yeah. Well, I, I neglected at the beginning with my introduction uh, to to acknowledge that um, you're speaking from a point of expertise with uh, mental health counseling mm-hmm. um, and and work with trauma informed practices and counseling and and you and I have been doing some research with that as well. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there for people as they've um, been listening to you to talk from that perspective. You've heard me say, and I know we've had we've had friends and colleagues say that this this past school year has been has felt harder mm-hmm. than even the year and a half before that. Yes, um, and I know a lot of what you've just shared is probably contributing to that. Um, and I know I, I've seen on the different social media posts all over the place of uh, an, an attempt to blame this on the students mm-hmm. and the parents and the, the the apathy of students right now and the misbehavior of students right now. Um, can you can you share a little bit about what teachers may be experiencing with that? Or and I've I've shared before with you that you know this year it, it was very challenging for my my freshman group coming in um, how they were very different than past freshman groups that I've had come through. Um, so talk a little bit about that and kind of what teachers may be experiencing or have experienced this past year um, and and how they might can reframe that or, or look at that. Right. I mean, and, and when we think about your, your first years, your freshmen who came in, remember that the last time that they were, they were in high school is this, their, their junior year, mm-hmm. you know, they were their junior year. And, um, and there's, there's things that are built in to the way that, that, that school and life is done, um, that help us signal that we're, we're ready to transition and we're ready to move on. Um, our, our daughter is getting ready to start college and um, she did not have the luxury or that piece of, of college fairs, right? Of where you walk into a room and every, every school in there is wanting you. And so they will give you things and they will, they will woo you and they will say, Hey, look, you really need to come here. Look at all this great stuff we have. Look at what you can do with this degree. I mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, that's why we have entire missions, right? (laughs) In missions processes for, for higher ed. Um, Our, our, our daughter didn't have that. She didn't. She didn't have that. She did not have that opportunity to, um, to be wooed. And so, with us, what we noticed is that there was a little more of a what we perceived as a lag, right? Like, um, both we and and her mom's this this. Well, is she doing it soon enough? Is she doing it when she needs to? Does she even seem to care? Does she understand that this matters here and this matters here? Um, to tell you that to tell you all the end of the story she she has it under control and we don't um is really what it amounts to we are operating under this pre-pandemic model of of higher education where um you know we we think she needs to have all this done she needs to understand it and she's actually operating under a during pandemic model where she's getting things taken care of and they're on her time and they're exactly when they need to be, but they are very close to that deadline, right? Like if it's this day, then she gets it done that day. It's done. It's done. And it, but what we found is that's all she has in her. Mm-hmm. She, she had only, all she has in her is to say, okay, I know I need to take this math placement test. 
Okay, when is it? When do I have to have it done by? All right, I will make sure I have it done by then. And we're sitting over here on on bated breath, hoping that it gets done. And then the deadline passes, and we're just like, well, we hope she did it. And she's like, yeah, I got that taken care of a while ago. You don't have to worry about me. Um, but so that's that's a big deal. It's a big deal when there's there's not things in place that signify or or let students know the next right. Um, we can all sit and make fun of as much as we want graduations from different grades right graduations from kindergarten or graduations from eighth grade or everybody has a graduation but that does something to a person whenever you you get that cap and gown and rolled up piece of paper that says you're ready to move on and we're looking we're working with a group of students right now who haven't had some of those um societal cues to say you're ready to to go on um, and so there's, there's something to be said for that. Um, I don't want to break it down too much, but I, the same thing happened at the very beginning of the pandemic with funerals and with deaths and not being able to have, um, public funerals or viewings or, or, or collective mourning because we weren't allowed to be mixed, mixed pods or bubbles. Um, and so those those grieving processes are designed to help us they there's a reason that we do them um we we it doesn't necessarily help us get over anything but it helps us be in that situation usually with others or in a way that helps us make sense of a senseless situation so I think about that a lot when I think about the students who, who are coming to us. And so you, you teach undergrads, I teach grad students, um, those who are listening who are in that, the K-12 setting. Um, we, have, we, are, we are working with folks who are being blamed for being apathetic or um, who, who, are, who are feeling entitled. And, and all, of, all of these pieces, these, these words, again, that are not conversation starters. They're either conversation enders or fight starters. Those that's we all know what that word is. We've never called someone entitled and been like, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, we've never said, Oh my goodness, you are so entitled. What a blessing. Um, or you're so apathetic. That's again not not a word that's being used. And so I think I think what happens is is that we're we're looking at this um this perfect storm here where we have administrators and we have um, classroom teachers and we have parents and we have students and we have all of these individuals who are coming together experiencing what I shared at the very beginning, the collective trauma on unique ways, um, some in varying unique ways. So if we, you know, we talk about parents having this unique trauma, but if you're an educator who's a parent, there's some intersections there. So you're trying to do this and you're trying to do this. Um, Everyone has that and, and that's the point of intersectionality. But in this conversation, that's what we're referring to. And unfortunately, what I've what I've seen is that the the the, the scapegoat all too often is 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 the are excuse me the children, and the reason being is because so much of our evaluation metrics are on how they perform, mm-hmm. and so when we look at their evaluation metrics and we're saying, oh, I'm, I'm I see the learning slip, I'm like my personal belief and I'm not slamming any educational theorists there's no learning slip if what we're trying to do is function I don't I don't think the you know cave cave people sat and said Ooh, I think we're having a learning slip right now no they're like we got to kill the dinosaur right <laughs> I know dinosaurs and cave people didn't live at the same time but just be with me on that one it's just this it's these pieces of sometimes what we have to do is function sometimes what we have to do is survive sometimes what we have to do is 
find that 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 reason and that that sense of being amongst all of this simultaneously and i think that's that's what we're experiencing and um you know this is not a student who i, I believe you 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 taught so i feel comfortable sharing it but jimmy came home one day and and said you know i walked down the hallway today and i saw a student um rocking in the hallway sitting on the floor rocking in the hallway crying and um i was like i cannot think of a better visual for what your students are experiencing right now and um just to just to build him up jimmy jimmy loves his job and he's very good at his job he he I, I do use this word, and, and I know some do not, but he, he loves his students. Um, some don't like that word when it comes to students, but Jimmy and I have had this conversation <laughs> to extend about this concept of love. And he forms these relationships with his students. And so pre-pandemic, were they stressed out? Yeah, they, they tend mm-hmm. to be, you know, I, I think I'm probably talking to some overachievers who are sitting in, um, in their cars or in their classrooms or, or somewhere right now. The theater folk tend to be perfectionist. I don't know what you're talking about. You sure don't, do you? Um, this this idea of, of putting on a show in high quality it's 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 built in. There's it's it, there's a there's a function to it. And and Jimmy's students were there. They were they stressed out. Yeah, were they they were stressed out. Could they handle it? They sure could. This year, those same conversations that took place, let's say in the fall of 2019 that took that if they happen now students don't have it in them to be able to handle the same exact thing and i think what happens is we're blaming the students for not for not being resilient or having the skill set or having these things in them to be able to to overcome it when what we need to be able to say is my god they're exhausted and and they're questioning everything if you, they, this is a this is a generation of young people who've lived through a time who we were told that you know you could die at any second, right? You could die if if you go out to the grocery store. If anyone you love comes and brings it in, there's a potential, there's a chance that you could die. And so, if that's the message that you're receiving, one, it's hard to convince some folks that 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 threat's ever gone. Right. That's one of the lingering effects of trauma is it's hard to convince someone that the threat is no longer there. And the other piece is we've never societally agreed upon what the threat was to begin with and whether or not we should be concerned. So um, there's been no collective approach. There's been no way of of addressing it. Um, Schools across the nations, one nation one day will wear masks and then the next day because of legislators or laws be told, oh, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And so now our students are faced with having to make a a, a decision for their own health that they were told a month ago (laughs) is this is what you have to do to stay healthy. Now you don't have to do it anymore. And so as we get new information, we got to remember that that these young brains don't process information as quickly as as we do. It's not always, ah, I've received new information. I do something different. Now it's like, wait a minute, I don't understand you said this and now you're saying this, which is it? And it's, it's giving them that space to say that, that, that brain development's not there yet. Um, it's not there for some adults yet, but, um, that's just, those important pieces is that I, my encouragement to you, especially these last couple of days of school is to not see them as apathetic, to not see them as lazy, to not see them as 
trying to cause you discomfort and pain. Um, but to kind of reframe that and say, these are individuals who are really just trying to function. These are individuals who themselves are just trying to get to the finish line and cross that finish line so that they can collapse. And we know that some of them can't, some of them are not going to be able to collapse because of the environments that they're in, but, um, they're exhausted just like you. And yeah. when those two things come together, it's a, it's a storm. Yeah. I think I want to, I don't want to, um, discount the, the teachers in that last part of our conversation of mm. the, the teacher exhaustion. And I, I think a lot of it and, and you and I have talked quite a bit about it. Um, just from my own experience with my own department at Illinois state, um, is the, it, everyone is trying to return to business as usual. They are. And, it's not business as usual. And like, and, and I, I hear from teachers all the time that your program numbers are lower and you're, you're kind of all, all in this rebuilding place. And it's the same at the university level. You know, the, the skill level is not where it was, but we're still trying to produce um, like it is. Um, and that is compounding on the exhaustion, I think, which, which you've already alluded to of the, 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 the flight of teachers from education right now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about burnout and, mm-hmm. um, what that looks like and, and, and how we can recognize that. And we're going to talk about strategies for, for self-care and well-being later on. But what, what does that look like and how can we identify it to, to deal with that? If our heart is still in this job, mm-hmm. we still love our kids. We still love what we're doing. We just don't have it in us to go on anymore. Which is what you just shared right there is what confuses burnout, right? Because when we, when we talk about it colloquially and we talk about it kind of from a non-academic setting, we, we think burnout looks like, um, I don't like this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't feel appreciated anymore. I don't like the kids. I don't like the people. I don't like the building. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, uh, I do not want to do this. And whereas there's some things, some of that, when I just said those things, some people were like, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Absolutely. And then what you just shared too is, but my heart's still in this and I still love doing what I do. And I still, I have, I have found ways, um, during this very difficult time to continue to instill this love of a specifically theater into, into my students. And we found ways to do it, you know, it, it's hard for me to believe that I remember sitting and watch how much theater we watched on zoom, right. In in our home, um, your students were doing zoom projects and, and their students were doing Zoom projects. We watched, you know, at, at Christmas time, we watched a Christmas carol on Zoom by the fireplace um, to where we are now, where Jimmy has just um, directed a show. And um, his his folks were supposed to be maskless. But at the very end, we decided to go with mask because COVID crept back in. Right. And But they're back on stage and with a full audience. And I watched theater with a full audience, you know, for the first time. And and all of those things that I love about it, which you all love giving me right you all love giving me that experience of, of, of watching this this hard work it's there and so it's confusing whenever I still love parts of what I'm doing and I still love aspects of working with my students even though they may exhaust me right there's still aspects that I love or there's still maybe classes that you love to teach and maybe not others it compounds it it confuses it because I've, I've worked with folks who, who internalize that and say, well, I obviously am the problem because if I'm okay here and I'm not okay here, the only factor that's the same is me. So I need to refigure how I'm thinking about this or I need to refigure how I'm doing this. And in all honesty, 
what's happening is, is there's, there's pieces of, of you that love what you're doing are hanging on to things while the other parts of you are burning out. And so it's almost like, um, like nails, like reaching into the ground, just kind of trying to keep you from burning out while the rest of you is being pulled into that spot. And, and it's, it's something that hurts. I mean, I, you and I, you know, I've talked about it and I've alluded to, I, I was a, a professor of counseling, um, and left that full time, um, to take this new position that I'm in and I was teaching part-time and I don't do that anymore. And, um, you know, there were parts of me that were, were holding on cause there's parts of what I do that I absolutely love. And then there was those things that, that I felt were draining for me that I had to make a decision to say in order for me to maintain some kind of health, I can't do this, this way anymore. And, um, I became one of those numbers of people fleeing the, the field. And that was, that was really hard for me. I, 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 it was really hard still is to some extent to think about that and to think about the students who, um, in my mind, I say left behind, um, I didn't leave them behind. I know that they are with people who are caring for them. I know there are people who are who are training them. I know there are people who are there. But there's some part of me that 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 used to say, "Well, if I'm not there, I don't know who's going to be there for them," um, which is not enough and not okay for me to not be healthy myself. Right. So for me, that burnout looked very different because that burnout started to become. Um, it started to initially creep in just by a thought. It started to think, well, you know, is this even worth it? Um, those things that I used to do with my students, those relationships I used to form, those those ways of being that I used to, is, is that really worth it? Because I'm putting all this out there and they're not taking me up on it. And I teach trauma. I teach trauma to students who are learning about trauma, who are experiencing trauma. Um, and so they were not able to kind of reciprocate like they had had in the past. And so I found it very difficult. Um, I know I'm not alone here in teaching to a Zoom room where I don't know if there's anyone there. Um, that did drain me. I, I tried to pretend like it didn't. But it did because that that energy there that that am I am I landing? Am I not landing? Um, is this making sense that collective there's there's a synergy and there's this there's this magic that occurs when when people are learning together and, and, and scaffolding is occurring and you sometimes can see connections being made. Well, when you're speaking to 25 black squares um, because I didn't require the TVs to or the, the zoom to be turned on because some of them were at home trying to take care of their own children and get a master's degree simultaneously. Um, and they, 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 they couldn't have that on. And so that I understood while understanding this is, this is starting to drain me. And then the part that, you know, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back had to do with the way I felt supported or lack of support. And it eventually boiled down to as I didn't feel supported by those who were in positions to help me feel supported or to help me um, kind of reallocate my time or to be able to better prepare and, and practice those self-care strategies. And that's the moment I knew it was time for me to go. Um, and that was, that was a difficult thing. Um, still, still is obviously still have some guilt around it, but it confuses it. 
it confuses things rather when you love what you do and don't understand why that burnout is occurring. Mm -hmm. So I, I love what I'm doing, but I don't think I can do it anymore. Doesn't, doesn't inherently make sense. It doesn't make sense in, in my mind still to say, I love this. I can't do it anymore. Um, and so I, th I think we have folks experiencing that. They, they love what they're doing, but maybe not now and maybe not what they're doing anymore. Or like you said, trying to function as though we are pre-pandemic. There's, there's never going to be a pre-pandemic time again. Mm -hmm. There's never. There's never going to be that thing. You're never, mm, you're never going to do shows the same way you did. I, I, I feel comfortable in that. I don't, I don't like to say never or always, but I feel very comfortable in saying that is that it, we're not gonna be able to do that. Um, the number of shows that we've been talking about that the toll that it takes on a human body to do as many shows as you all may be doing, um, just not there reallocation of interest to say, you know what? I used to be here until six or seven every night. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't worth my time. I love these kids, and these kids are worth everything I have, but they need a version of me that doesn't hate coming in here. So in order to do that, maybe I cut one or two shows you know, a semester, if you're doing five or six um, in some version, and, and you focus on doing fewer shows that's able to kind of meet your needs when we talk about self-care, but also to continue to provide to the children. But you have to have administration. You have to have support for that. And that's where I have found a lot of folks right now who are doing this, this fleeing of the field don't feel supported by individuals who feel like things have to be the way they were pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had a better answer for how that's going to switch. But that's for educational theorists and philosophers and folks <laughs> to determine. Um, I've. And you and I have like you. Welcome to our dinner table conversations, everyone. Uh -huh. um, I, <laughs> it's and, and you please, can please correct me if I'm wrong when as I say this, but in hearing what you you were just sharing about your own experience um, over the last year, um, and I know with my own experience, being a theater teacher or being a teacher, um, I can't help but tie it to my identity. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know, I don't know what I would do if I quit teaching. Like I don't, I don't know what Jimmy Chrisman is supposed to be doing if I ever left teaching this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if if other teachers feel that way, um, but it, it, is that do you, do you find that with yourself? Do you do you feel that way? And if you have encountered people who feel that way, like, is there any advice we can give them? Is it wrong to feel that way? I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like that was baiting me because, you know, I, I'm going to say it's it's feelings aren't wrong. <laughs> There's no wrong feeling. Um, and I think that's important to note. Um, first and foremost, that there, there are no such thing as wrong feelings. And um, I think we've been fed messages throughout our lives that that for some of us give us permission to feel certain ways and not feel others. Um, you know, I. <laughs> Hmm. It's just it's so hard, Jimmy, because I'm I'm in the same in the same position where um, I know academically um, all 
this career theory, right? It's part of counseling. Counseling started as, as career work and that we, we look at career works and a lot of our identity is based in the work we do. Um, when you're children, you ask people what their favorite color is to start a conversation. When you become adults, you ask them what they do, right? I wish people would ask me my favorite color. I've had no one ask me my favorite color in years, but, um, that's, that's, that's what it is. So what do you do, you know? And then, I can almost say that we can anticipate what what people's responses are going to be, right? And so when you say, "Oh, I'm a teacher," oh, bless your, heart. I don't, I don't know, I couldn't do it, I could not do it, and you're sitting there going, "Yeah, okay, let's move on." I I know what you're about to say. I get all of these pieces, or you have people start to ask you questions about why is everyone leaving, or you know why are teachers so selfish nowadays and they don't want to do what they used to do, and you're like, um, "I I wish I would have told you I did something different," um, and so. What we do in our work is so much a part of our identity, especially for the folks who are in those classrooms, because you spend a lot of time developing your art and your craft. Mm-hmm. A lot of time, both in, in the classroom as a, as a student and as a learner, and then outside of the classroom as an educator who is a lifelong learner, continuing to learn ways to be, but also ways to to support these 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 young um, theater folks who are, who are learning theater, so a lot of time has been invested in this. Like you said, a lot of a lot of your personhood has been invested in this, and so the thought of leaving that, yeah, that's scary. What do I do? Because I think I don't know if I've already said on the podcast, but you know, I I knew I was going to be a third grade teacher since uh since. Blah, I don't know, maybe third grade itself. When never was a third grade teacher, by the way, just so you, you all know, that never came to fruition. But being in education was something that was that was in me since I was probably eight. And it was something that was supported in me by my family. Um, when I graduated with a, um, a non, non-certification degree, it crushed my mom. She was like, I thought you wanted to be a teacher. I was like, I did too. But I don't think I want to be with children in this way. There's there's a different way. And fortunately, I became you know counselor, and that's the, the way that worked. But that's another piece that I just I want to let people know is that happenstance does occur. Happenstance is this is this is is this piece that looks like um, you just kind of fell into it, but you you don't really fall into it. It's you've developed this skill set and this way of being and this knowledge. So when this opportunity arises you fit but it looks like all of a sudden you know this is i just kind of fell into this you didn't fall into it you've been preparing for a very long time not knowing that this 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 was what's next for you um not knowing that this was even available so um happenstances occur some folks you know we know some folks are leaving the field to go and be be realtors you know, and, and, and finding their bliss and finding their joy in that way. Um, and we know some who are leaving the field altogether with no intentions of having any sort of connections to working with children anymore. And we have some who are leaving the field but find ways to continue to work with children in, in non-classroom settings um, because they still have those those pieces that, that want to be with them. So um, it's it's all over the place, I think now and this is again welcome to our dinner conversation but now more than ever i think a teacher leaving is not questioned like it used to be mm-hmm. like like when a teacher left before everyone was like i wonder what happened or what was going on and in whispers and now people are leaving they're like yeah that makes sense 
<laughs> that makes sense. Uh-huh. Yep. Because I think people on the outside look and see the way that educators are, are, are being supported or lack of support and being told to, to move forward in situations that there's really no forward. There may be sideways, but we're told to go forward. And the loss of identity of that is, like you said, Jimmy, it's, it's a real thing. And, and it's to be discussed. Talk about that with your support systems. Make sure that um, you practice what, what we practice in our house is with Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers says that anything that is mentionable is manageable. But the first thing we have to do is mention it in order for it to be manageable. Otherwise, what we do is we ruminate on it or we try to solve it ourselves. And we try to think of all these scenarios and we try to think, well, what would I do? What would happen? What would happen? And it raises our anxiety. It could potentially increase depression. It leads to greater burnout. Um, so we have to make that mentionable, finding those folks we feel comfortable talking to and talking with and saying, hey, Jimmy, I don't need you to fix this for me right now, but I do need you to listen to me as I'm talking about, I think I might, I think I might be leaving and, and please don't try to convince me to stay right now. Just listen to what I have to say and finding your person or people who can hear you have that conversation. Yeah. I think I experienced this kind of the last half of this uh, spring semester because our students do have an impact on us. Mm. Um, and, and the this that I'm talking about is compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, and I think theater teachers are uniquely positioned to experience this. And I, I don't want, I'm not negating the relationships that other teachers that are, don't teach theater form with their students. But I think we have a unique opportunity with the time that we spend with our students, the nature of the work that we do, the, 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 the teaching and practicing of empathy um, with the, the plays that we do. And our students trust us in a different way than they do many other teachers. Um, talk a little bit about what compassion fatigue is and um, what, what that would look like um, as we, as we experience that. And then I want to transition into what can we do to take care of ourselves with that? Sure. So compassion fatigue and, and kind of a, a, a very basic thought process and a basic way of saying that is this, this exhaustion that occurs from the caring of others, right? So the caring of and for others, it takes a toll, right? It's, it's, it, it pulls from us to, to care and be with other folks. So if you've ever wondered why, you know, after like specifically heavy conversations or um, listening where you're not really doing a lot of talking and you're not really sharing, but at the end of the conversation, you yourself are exhausted as well. Um, it is because, again, Mr. Rogers, we leave a piece of ourselves with someone every time we have those conversations and, and vice versa. They're leaving a piece of themselves. So when you compound it with the number of students or bodies who you may encounter on a, on a regular basis, especially for those who are engaged in any type of emotional work, which theater 100% is theater is emotional work um, and it's it 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 also Jimmy and I did a study where we interviewed over 30 theater teachers and found that most of them said that they were the person in the school that their students would come to that they had that unique relationship with their students that the students would come and kind of just lack of a better word unload 
right? And just and just share and share and share. And and so that takes its toll on folks. It takes its toll. And and we found that these 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 teachers and the folks who are listening right now love love these love these kids or care, whatever word you need to use. Um, we found also that some folks don't like the word love and have reserve it for very special relationships. So whatever whatever you say, care whatever way of being that you are with your with your students um it it takes a toll and so when you think about tying it all back together when we talk about collective trauma at the beginning you have individuals who are exhausted already both the the teacher and students are exhausted students are looking for outlets and they're coming to people who are already themselves exhausted just from functioning and being then they want to be there for their student as the student is 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 having difficulty functioning and being um, that compounds and it just drains the person who's listening. In this instance, we're talking about theater educators and it, the, the ability to be present just starts to get smaller and smaller. And that I want to hypothesize, Jimmy, that is probably equally as concerning to theater educators as thinking about what would I do if I wasn't a a teacher, Mm. because it's these pieces of, I, I I like being the person that my students can come to. I like being this, the person my students can come to and say, I think my parents are getting divorced or my parents are getting divorced or, you know, I think I might not be straight, but I haven't told anyone, can you hear me say that? Or, you know, this, this show that we did really spoke to me in these ways and I'm able to say this now and I wasn't able to say this before. There's, there's, that's those little victories that I think people are able to hold on to to help get through those difficult times. And so there's a there's a I, there's a joy in in that piece. But what happens with compassion fatigue is you're not able to do and be in those places that you were before. And so now you there may be this concern of, well, I'm just like any other teacher in the building because I can't listen to you right now. I can't hear this about you because I'm worried about this. And so compassion fatigue sometimes takes away from those parts of us that we value um, because we just don't have that energy to give. And compassion fatigue is not it's not a choice it's not something that you're choosing to do outright um it's it's usually a a byproduct of not being able to um to find that 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 balance that is healthy for you there's no universal healthy balance but that balance for you um where you're able to have that self-care for you and then able to provide that space for your students so just to kind of uh, bring the, the conversation up a little bit, because this is probably a little heavier topic than we're used to discussing on the show and you all are used to listening to, but let's talk about self-care and, and wellness and taking care of yourself and some strategies that, that theater teachers can put into place to, to help with that. Um, I think first and foremost, I want to say that self-care is not selfish. No. And I think that's a difficult lesson to learn. Um, I think that there's an honor in being that person that your students come to. There's mm-hmm. an honor in being being there for them, not being a counselor, but being there for them. But it, it it's hard to say no. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say no. Um, right. So what are some of those things that, that theater teachers can do to take care of themselves, um, self-care, and, and their overall wellness? Sure. So, again, I'm going to tell you there's, there's no such thing as universal self-care. 
period, mm-hmm. full full stop on that. Um, and so when when you hear ideas or you hear suggestions on self care, there's going to be some that you weed through and say mm, that mm, that's something I can consider, or that doesn't sound like me at all. Um, I give an example all the time is I'm I'm a counselor who has had so many years of counseling school. I hate journaling. I hate writing in journals. I hate writing down my thoughts. I just don't like it. And so if someone's going to sit here and say, well, you know, I think something healthy you can do for yourself is to write this down at the end of the day so you can reflect, I will look at you and say, you need to try again. Like that's, that's not for me. That's not going to work. And because that's not going to work for me, I'm not going to incorporate it into my self-care routine because if I do that, it feels more like work and it's not self-care. So Everyone needs to understand that at the beginning. So when you hear suggestions or you hear ideas, then take them with a grain of salt and say that works for me or that doesn't work for me. You know, one of the first things that that most folks are going to tell you about self-care has to do with moving of the body. Um, However, your body moves or the way that you move your body. Um, Again, it's easier said than done. Um, Very easy, easier said than done. Um, But we do have some some data to support that if that's something that you're you're able to or first of all I'll say able not all of us are able to move our bodies in in ways that that the people expect us to be able to right. um and that's that's a big piece of it but that the physicality piece of it can be important um sometimes it's 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 changing physical space and and things along those lines so if that's what you've got you can do that I will tell you kind of my 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 broad kind of overall self-care plan um, is is this piece of ways that it is factored into your life where it is your non-negotiables. And and you may not be able to have a lot of those depending on um, kind of where you are in your life and, and what your schedule and, and who you share your schedule with. Um, but finding finding those opportunities for your for your non-negotiables and, and what those mean um, and and convincing yourself, because for most of us, it's convincing ourselves that what I'm doing is not selfish. You know, me sitting downstairs and 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 playing you know, with my crafting stuff for four hours on a Saturday while everyone else is upstairs is not selfish. It's not selfish. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I shared with you, I found that that was important because most of the work that I do doesn't have an end. It doesn't end. So I never see a finished product of something. And so for me, I found myself getting extremely overwhelmed at not seeing finished products, Mm -hmm. just always starting things and being involved in things and then other people taking them on and me never seeing them. I didn't realize that that was an issue for me. So, you know, when I can come downstairs and just play around in, in this area that we have that I can make stuff on my cricket or have glitter or whatever I need to do. And then I'm like, all right, I have something. I have, I finished something. I feel uh, accomplished. That was a, that was a self-care piece for me that was huge. And, and it doesn't, it, it's not always factored in. I don't do it every week because I don't always need to do it, but I have that space. I have that space when I need to come down here and, and, and just play around and, and, and do what I need to do. Um, so for us, it's, it's finding, it's finding those outlets finding those ways to um, kind of detach so we can re-engage. Um, you know, it's going to be different for everyone, but always always kind of watch out for engaging in things that are draining from you in similar ways. And I'm saying this for those of those folks, this theater educators who like to do theater. 
um, it's it can be exciting, but it also can potentially drain you in exactly the same ways yep. that you were being drained at school. And I say that looking at one right I now. Know. I know you know, um, but I'm looking at someone who loves both talking about theater with his students, but he loves doing theater as well gets involved in the process and I can watch it start to drain you um, because you are you are involved in things where people are pulling from you things that you don't have in you right now to give but you are not the type of person to say I don't have I can't give it because the show needs to get done um, and so you start to give more and more of yourself um, same thing with uh, with students I, I work from home now and so I'll be like hey Jimmy when you come coming home and he'll tell me it will roll around and I'll be like, Jimmy's not home. So I'll send him a text and he's like, oh, I had three students walk in. Um, I was packing up to leave and they walked in and I was like, well, you were walking out. Why didn't you keep walking out? Yeah, I, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. And I was like, well, what, what did you do for them in that moment? And how does that impact you for the rest of the, of the day or the week where, you know, you're now carrying things that you weren't going to carry before. And so it's, it's, it's this, the knowledge of, this is who I am and this is what I love to do, but it's, it's a draining from me. Just, just keep an eye on those things. Keep an eye on those things for you. Also keep an eye on those things that you, you find kind of refreshing. And, and I'm not going to sit here and give you a list of those because it's different for everyone. Right. But those things that you can do either by yourself or with others um, that you just, you feel refreshed and you feel like you're able to kind of plug back in a little more. Um, I also do not want to go through this entire conversation without talking about the importance of making sure that your, your physical health is addressed. Um, and, I, and I'm talking about going to, to see a doctor if, if, if things are not, um, not going the way that you feel comfortable with them going. Um, talking potentially about, about medications that can help during times um, when, when, when you need help and you need support. Um, finding a counselor or someone who you can, you can talk to professionally. I, I love my friends, but my friends can't listen to me the way that, that counselors can because they, they want to take it away from me. Yeah. My friends, my friends want me to feel better. My friends love me, and they don't like to see me hurt. Counselors don't want to see me hurt either, but they know that they can't take my stuff away because it's not theirs to take away. And so it's a very different type of relationship. You know, during COVID, Jimmy and I both have been to the doctor multiple times and found that there's things going on in our bodies that we didn't anticipate. I did not know that I had a vitamin D insufficiency um, and going to the doctor to say, oh, okay, taking these vitamins can help me feel better in, in a different way. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't right. sought support and, and said, I don't know if everything's right with my body right now. I don't know what's going on. And that's a big part of self-care is, is seeking support and seeking connections to say, I don't think that I'm happy where I am right now. Is there someone who can partner with me to help get that information? Tell them. Well, Adam, I appreciate you taking time to talk with me uh, for this episode, um, this last episode of season four. Um, and uh, I just appreciate you sharing your expertise and wisdom and, and just some, some perspective for, for theater teachers. I, I appreciate you having me and I, I, I and you know, I share in all my presentations, didn't share here about my I, I do have a very neurodiverse brain and so when I start talking, my brain says, Make sure you say this and 
Um, so I, I hope I didn't overwhelm or share too much information or that it was incoherent. But I think, you know, in summary, Jimmy, this is this is the summary that we talk about all the time. It's it's not it's not easy. Not, none of what we've just discussed is easy. It's not as simple as doing this instead of this. Um, it is finding ways to survive and then on those survival aspects, building ways that we can thrive, um, but not necessarily making thrive that, ult- that, that goal right from the beginning. <laughs> you know, and sometimes it is just figuring out ways that you can, you can survive and you can, you can function and you can keep your head above water and then working your way towards this place where you feel like you're thriving and, and, and doing and living that life that you want to live. Well, theater teachers, congratulations on an awesome year. You have earned your summer rest, and uh, I hope that you will you will take advantage of that. Read a trashy novel, drink mm-hmm. some wine, hang out with some friends on your back patio, go on a trip, unplug your phone and computer, and just be sometimes. Just mm-hmm. take some time for you um, and enjoy the outdoors, enjoy your family, enjoy your friends, and find a way to enjoy you this summer that's right rest is a very very important part of growth and i think we we forget that Hmm. that that rest part um is 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 as important as the is the building part it allows for restoration um you know bodybuilders people who work out know that you have to stop working your body sometimes so it can heal so you can continue to build it our our mental health is exactly the same way so find ways to to rest and let your body rebuild. Well, teachers, have a fantastic summer. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you in August for season five. And that is a wrap for this episode of Fed Talks. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Tune in next week for the next one. We have so many great teachers coming up and so many that have already been with us. So if you are not already subscribed to the podcast, go on your favorite podcast provider, subscribe to us, rate us, leave us five stars, review us. More importantly, share the podcast with those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here on the show. Visit our website, www.fedtalks.com for the pages for all the teachers who have been on our show. Email me at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a future guest on the show or suggestions or topics that you'd like to have on the show, email me. I love interacting with you on there and I always follow up. Follow us on all of the social media that's out there. We are out there on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks. On Facebook, we have a Fed Talks page and Instagram Fed Talks Podcast. Once again, our website is www.fedtalks.com. Thank you, teachers, for all that you do. Thank you for listening. Continue to be the lights that you are and changing all those lives. I appreciate you. Take care.